This is The Gathering Church in Windsor, Ontario, and I'm Pastor Garth Lino. Welcome to our podcast. This is our final Sunday in our Endangered Species teaching series. We've looked at a number of qualities and characteristics that we believe are in short supply these days. We've talked about courage. We've talked about integrity and vision and endurance. And now this morning we talk about everybody's favorite, self-control. You know, it can be seemingly small things like just not having another cookie, ordering salad instead of french fries, shutting down the phone, not spending another half hour on social media, not yelling at the person who just cut you off while you were driving. But it could also be really significant things, like maintaining marital faithfulness and sexual purity, or committing to a life of sobriety. Self-control is hard. And self-control is actually one of, it's one of these ideas, it's one of these terms that actually defines itself. What is self-control? It is control of self. Mastering one's will. And I will say this, it is actually a little bit different than, than discipline. Though they go hand in hand, can't really have one without the other, they are different. You see, discipline for the Christian has more to do with the idea of developing good godly habits. Where self-control for the Christian is honoring God with good choices, good decisions in the moment. And those can often spring out of those habits, but they are a little bit different. David Mathis says it this way. He says, self-control is simply that important, impressive, and nearly impossible practice of learning to maintain control of the beast of one's own sinful passions. Self-control may be the epitome of easier said than done. And because it's easier said than done, it's on the endangered species list. Our endangered species list, at least. And so if you have your Bible this morning, I invite you to turn to Titus chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 1 to 6 and then 11 to 14. As you're turning there, I'll give you just a little background. Titus was a pastor on the island of Crete. And the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to him to help him, to encourage him as he sought to lead this congregation. The issue of self-control is actually going to come up four times in the passage that we're looking at. And as we study the Word this morning, as we hear from it, the goal for us is to realize that every single believer, every single believer is called to a life of self-control, to honor Jesus with a life of self-control. So let's read the passage together. Titus 2, starting at verse 1, it says, But as for you... Teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. And then jump down to verse 11. 
For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So I want to talk just a little bit about verse 1 before we dive into self-control. It says, but as for you, which obviously is going to link chapter 2 with chapter 1. Paul had just kind of finished explaining uh, that there's false teachers going around. And it says in chapter 1 verse 16, just really quickly, it says, these false teachers, they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. And so Paul is contrasting Titus with these false teachers. He says, hey, Titus, don't just know the truth. Don't just know sound doctrine, the truth about God, Jesus, the Bible, ourselves, the church. Don't just teach it, but live it. And as you teach it, teach your church how to live it as well. Teach what accords with sound doctrine. And one of the ways, one of the ways that we live out the truth is by practicing self-control. And so as we get into this passage, we're going to see that this passage is going to answer Three questions. The first is, who should be self-controlled? The second is, why should we be self-controlled? And the third will be, how can we be self-controlled? So let's start with the first one. Who should be self-controlled? Well, the answer is, all believers in Jesus Christ. The first six verses, again, kind of go through this. Uh, Verse 2, it says, older men, sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled. Verse 3, Older women, likewise, reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. Uh, verse five, 4 and 5, teach the young women, but then 5, to be self-controlled. And then verse 6, likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. So we see older men, older women, younger women, younger men, be self-controlled. All people, all ages, both genders, say no to sin, stay, say yes to God. So In case you haven't caught it yet this morning, this passage, this idea of self-control applies to everybody. Everybody. And Paul helps here. He gives actually some practical examples to flesh out this calling on everyone. He says, be sober-minded. Sober-minded is this idea of being controlled. Controlling um, what goes into our brain and seeing the things that consume us, whether that's alcohol or any other substance that would seek to control us. He says, no, be sober-minded and avoid those things. He says, have reverent behavior or be dignified. That's calm conduct, respectful conduct. Then he mentions purity, exercising control over our minds and our bodies sexually, remaining faithful to our spouse, or keeping ourselves pure for a possible future spouse down the road. He says all of this is what accords with sound doctrine. All this is what accords with the truth. It's the conduct that corresponds with the gospel. And it's what is expected among all of God's people. 1 Thessalonians 2, 11-12 says something similar. He says, For you know how like a father with his children we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Each one of you. Now the reality is, some of us 
are better at self-control than others. Some of us maybe have uh, a good amount of self-control over some areas, and some of us may be weak in this, but those of us that have learned to control ourselves in one area or another are not called to look down on those that are struggling, look down on those who are weaker, or look down on those who are maybe new in faith but they're actually to come alongside and to lovingly and patiently teach the other people. Verse 4 and 5 specifically talks about older women teaching younger women there. They are to teach what is good, train the young women, verse 5, to be self-controlled. So whether you're a woman or a man, if you are older in the congregation, my question for you is, who are you training? Who are you teaching? Is there somebody that you are actively pouring into? Somebody that you're showing, hey, I don't have everything figured out, but here's what I have learned about following Jesus. Here's what I have learned about self-control. If there isn't somebody in your life that you are actively training, may I challenge you? Find somebody. Find somebody a little bit younger than you, a lot a bit younger than you. Teach them what you know. As somebody that is a younger man, I'm so thankful for older and wiser people who have come alongside, who've taken me under their wing and shown me and taught me certain things. And I'm standing up here and I'm telling you, I'm not done yet. You guys know I'm not done yet. I still need help. I still need your help. We all need help. We have a long way to go. So to teach and to train each other, all of us. So we've answered the who question. Everybody's called to have self-control. You and me and everybody. But why? Why should we be self-controlled? Why should we seek to practice control over ourselves? Well, during his term as President of the United States, Lyndon Johnson was somewhat overweight. One day his wife challenged him with this blunt assertion. She went up to him and said, You can't run the country if you can't run yourself. Whoa. Respecting Mrs. Johnson's wise observation, the president then went and lost 23 pounds. Now, why did he do that? What was his reason for doing that? Was it because he knew that he was an example, meant to be an example as a leader of this nation? Probably. Want to be a good example. And that's a good reason to be an example. And there's other good reasons that people practice self-control. It could be financial, right? You're saving up for maybe a trip, or you're saving up to buy a house, and so you make choices. Or it could be career-related. You make decisions so that you can get that promotion, or simply that you don't get fired. Showing up on time is a good decision, so you don't get fired, right? Um, Other things, it could be, like President Johnson, could be health-related. I'm going to do this to exercise. I'm going to eat a little bit better, whatever that is. And none of those are bad reasons, But the Apostle Paul puts forth two of the best reasons ever in verses 11 to 14. I'm going to read that again. He says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. I'm going to stop right there. The first reason why we should be self-controlled is that we've received salvation. We've received salvation. It says the grace of God has appeared. There is forgiveness. There is salvation for you in Jesus Christ. Jesus came down to this earth, died in our place for us, for you, to redeem us from sin, to redeem us from lawlessness, to set us free from the eternal punishment of sin, to give us a new life. 
We've been saved. We've been set free. We've been welcomed into God's family. We've become a people for His own possession. And so Paul then is like, okay, so that's why we live self-controlled. For what God has done. Romans 12.1 is a similar idea. right? Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer yourselves up as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to Him. This is your true and proper worship. Why? Why do I offer myself up? Because look at what He's done. Look at all that He has done for me. God didn't have to send Jesus. He chose to send Jesus. He chose to rescue us. He chose to give us salvation. And now, faith in His death, faith in His resurrection, again, we're born again by the power of the Holy Spirit, and we now we respond in that new life by turning away from ungodliness, and we turn towards Him to learn how to live lives of self-control. That's Reason number one of why we should be self-controlled. And the second reason why we should be self-controlled is the return of Jesus. Jesus is coming back. Look at verse uh, 13 and 14. Waiting for our blessed hope. What's our blessed hope? The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession who are zealous for good works. Paul's saying, Jesus is coming back. One day, you and I are going to see Him face to face in all of His glory. So there is incentive. There is motivation. There is a reason why to be self-controlled. It's something that I need to remember. It's something that we all need to remember as we seek to practice self-control. As we're going about our day, it's like, wait a minute. Not only has Jesus died for me and saved me, which is amazing, but Jesus is coming back for me. So I want to be ready. I want to be excited. I don't want to be embarrassed or ashamed when He comes. Oh, I was doing this. Or oh, right? I want to do my best to be, to be ready and excited for Him to come. John Calvin has said that the certainty of our future hope will lead us to devote ourselves wholly to God in the present. This is what the early church lived. They, they believed that Jesus was coming back any day. So like, be ready, be ready, be ready. Lives of self-control because He could come at any moment. And we want to be excited for that. We want to be ready for His return. Certainty of future hope will lead us to devote ourselves wholly to God in the present time. And verse 14 again, just as a mention, he says, he came to purify for himself a people. He's in the process of purifying his church, his bride. Jesus is coming back for a purified people. People that act like him more and more. People that are learning to be self-controlled. These are the people that he's coming back for. And so the next time, not if you're tempted, when you're tempted. The next time that you're tempted, whatever that temptation is, and you're fighting this battle of self-control, whether it's having another drink, whether it's engaging in gossip or slander, or using your, your body or your words to hurt people, whether it's tempted to click on that website or, or to steal or to cheat on that test or whatever it is, or simply just to be lazy and watch eight hours of Netflix in a row, think about Jesus. Just stop and think about Jesus for a minute. And think about Him giving His life for you. And then think about Him coming back. Coming back in glory. And He sees you and He says, I gave you new life. I set you free from that old life. How did you use that new life? How did you use that new life? 
And so, you see, we have good reasons to practice self-control. We have good reasons to say no to sin, good reasons to say yes to Him. We're all called to this, no matter our age, because of what He's done and because He's coming back again. So that's the who, and that's the why, but what about the how? How can I be self-controlled? Even if you understand all the reasons why, how do we do it? And we're going to go back to verse 11 and 12 again. We're going to see how I, can I be self-controlled. It's the grace of God. He says, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. And then it says in verse 12, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age. It's the, the grace of God that has appeared. It's the grace of God that trains us to live self-controlled lives. It's this idea that the grace of God that has redeemed us is the same grace that reforms us. You see, God is not calling us to just grit our teeth, work harder, figure it out on our own strength and be self-controlled and just use your own willpower and you'll honor me. Even if you do that, you can maybe do that for a little bit or even a season, but eventually you're going to break down. Eventually you're not going to be able to do it. And He knows that. He knows that we can't do it on our own. And so, kind of ironically, in order to have true self-control, we need help that comes from outside of ourselves. In order to have true self-control, we need help that comes from outside of ourselves. And thankfully, God, in His grace, provides that help by giving us the Holy Spirit who dwells within, who empowers all true believers in Christ to live in a godly and controlled way. See, true biblical self-control is empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's not just our own determination and discipline and willpower. And since true self-control is empowered by the Holy Spirit, you and I need to depend on the Holy Spirit. We need to ask Him to fill us. We need to surrender to Him and His control because He is the one, ultimately, that produces the quality of self-control in our lives anyways. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and there it is, self-control. The Spirit of God at work in us produces self-control. This is why God's grace is amazing. He gives His very Spirit to help us, to empower us, and to change us. So He calls us to this, and then He says, now let me help you get there. Because we can't do it on our own. And I think that there are far too many Christians, myself included, we try on our own strength to have self-control. Meanwhile, the Holy Spirit is available to fill us and to empower us. It's like you're in a boat and you're trying to paddle upstream against the current and you're just going and you're just going and you're working it so hard and you're trying and you may be making a little bit of progress but not really because it's against the current and you're about to give up, you're about to give up, you're so tired, you're so worn out, I'm trying God, I'm trying God. And he says, hey, turn around. And you turn around and you look and there's a motor on the boat. Turn on the motor. I'm here to help. I'm here to help. God Himself, I'm here to help. Look. 
And now, that being said, leaning on the Holy Spirit doesn't mean, oh, okay, well, there's a motor on the boat, now I'm just not going to do anything. Right? The Spirit's going to do it, so whatever. Just, just to be clear, the, the Holy Spirit isn't going to be the one that just wakes you up and then brings you out of your bed and carries you along and does everything for you and then puts the Bible in front of your face and opens it up and you start reading it, right? That's not what the Holy Spirit's going to do. The Holy Spirit is there to help. Listen to uh, 1 Corinthians 9, 25-27. Paul says, Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly, I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching, I myself should be disqualified. So Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, still disciplined his body, still put in effort and still made choices to go along with that filling, to help along the way, to achieve the imperishable prize. He didn't just sit back. Well, all right. He made active decisions to help. And we need to do the same thing. So we know, or we've seen, that surrendering to the Spirit is is number one. That's the first thing that we need to do in our quest to have self-control. But I want to give some practical tips. Some additional helps along the way. The first tip that I want to give us is be honest about your weaknesses. Be honest about your weaknesses. See, self-knowledge is vital to self-control. Know where you're weak, and if you are weak in an area, and you know that, seek to do whatever you can maybe to avoid that specific temptation. Now, you may not be able to all the time, but if you know that you get easily tempted in one area, wisdom then says, I'm going to try to avoid that area and being in that situation. Right? Do your best to avoid that situation and not be confronted with that temptation. Just know your weaknesses. We, we all have them. We're all weak. The second one is invite accountability. I mean, if, if growing in self-control is a goal, maybe it's a specific area. I would like to grow in self-control in blank area. Tell somebody. Tell somebody that you know, somebody that you love, somebody that you know loves you back, someone that you trust, and invite and welcome their accountability in that. How are you doing in that? They're allowed to call you, they're allowed to text you, Facebook, uh, meet for coffee, ask about how that's going. Invite that accountability. I'm trying to do this, but I need some help. Because the encouragement and the prayer and the support of other people is so important. Can't go it alone. Don't try to go it alone. It's really raining. And the Lord is still good. Brings the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. The third point, it may seem like a no-brainer, but sometimes I think it's the hardest one to do. Spend time with Jesus. Spend time with Jesus. He's the most self-controlled man in the history of the world. Learn from Him. Open this book. And as you open it, ask Jesus. Say, I don't don't want to just read something just to have some knowledge. Jesus, would you speak to me? Jesus, would you change me? Jesus, would you do a work in me as I'm reading this? Help me to apply this. Help me to grow and to change. And pray. Pray to Him. Cry out to Him. Say, Jesus, please. 
Help me to grow in self-control. Help me to love you more than that thing, whatever that is. Help me to say no to that sin. Help me to say yes to you. Foster that relationship. Every single relationship that you ever have or ever will have takes time. You have to spend time with Jesus. Some of us have a longer commute to work than others. Seize your commute. Whether that may be playing worship music or or sermons, audio sermons, podcasts. That might just be turning off the radio entirely and just like, I'm going to pray while I drive with your eyes open, but I'm going to pray while I drive. I'm going to use this time. I'm going to talk to Jesus. I'm going to ask Him for my help as I want to be self-controlled at work while I'm driving, right? And if you're praying while you're driving, you might end up being that person who cuts somebody off. So still be focused. But these are just a few tips. And one other question, whether you have a long commute or don't, just throughout your day. It seems simple, but it's so hard to actually remember to ask yourselves. You're faced with a decision, you're faced with a choice, and you ask yourself the question, is Jesus going to be honored by what I'm about to do? Is Jesus going to be honored with this decision? So often it's easy to say, oh no, no he wouldn't. No he wouldn't want me to do that. I think it's harder for us to, to just remember to ask ourselves that question. Wait, would Jesus want me to do this? Again, these are just a few tips. It's not an exhaustive list, but they're just meant to help us because we all need all the help that we can get. And so hopefully some of these tips are beneficial for you. You know, we've seen in Titus chapter 2, there's a picture of biblical self-control here. This is something that every single believer in Jesus is to pursue. We're all called to this. We're all called to honor the Lord because He gave Himself for us and because He's coming again for us. And we thank the Lord that because of His grace, He provides us with His own Holy Spirit to energize and empower us to live with ever-increasing self-control. Self-control is on our endangered species list, but it doesn't have to be. Let's all call on God's grace Lean on the Holy Spirit as as individuals and as a church. Become people more and more that honor Jesus with our lives of self-control. I'm going to close our time in prayer. I'm going to pray for us specifically to this end. That we would grow in self-control. That we would be filled with the Spirit. That we would lean on His grace. But what I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to invite you simply to stand with me as I pray. Would you stand at this time? Let's pray together. Father God, we have looked at your word and we have seen again that you are full of grace. You would send your son to die for us. It's incredible and it it can overwhelm us. and, And that you would choose not only to send your son, but to Give us your very spirit to help us and to guide us and to empower us. It should blow us away. We've talked and seen that we have a need for self-control. And we're standing here this morning as a church, as your people, calling out to you, declaring 
that we need you, declaring that we desire, we have a desire to honor you, but we need help. Help us. Each one of us needs your spirit to fill us and empower us. I pray that you would fill us anew this morning. Give us motivation. Give us desire to follow you. Lord, would you change us and set our hearts on you. Not on anything else, but set our hearts on you to seek you, your righteousness and your kingdom above all else. Remind us of your grace that you give us in salvation. Remind us that you're coming back. You're coming back one day, Jesus. Help us to be excited about that. Help us to be ready for that day. And Father, would you forgive us for the times that we have lacked self-control? Forgive us for for trying to live on our own strength. Forgive us for forgetting you. And so as we go from here this morning, again I pray, fill us with your spirit. Encourage us. Motivate us. May we draw near to you and spend time with you, Jesus. Help us to realize that's the most important thing that we can do. We thank you for your love. To be glorified in our lives. And may the fruit of self-control grow in abundance in your church here this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.